uh, be here for the first time and you're like, you know, what is Advent? Uh, what is that all about? You may have even grown up in a church that really didn't celebrate Advent or use that term Advent. And so I just want to take a moment and explain what Advent is. Advent is for the Christian uh, who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's kind of a looking back at the birth of Christ to celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, the fact that God kept his promise uh, and is faithful and sent his son, Jesus, to this earth. And, and Jesus came, and he was born of a virgin Mary, and he was uh, clothed, he put on uh, flesh. And so God dwelt among us. And so as Christians, we look back and celebrate that, that God kept his promise. But it's also, at the same time, we are looking forward, all right, because God has also promised that Jesus is coming back. And so we, we look forward in, with anticipation of the second advent, or the second coming of Christ, because God uh, is coming back for us, amen? All right, yeah, so, but now here's the problem, you see, because we live in this, this uh, in-between stage, right? And I love what Paul Tripp says. He calls that in-between stage the already-but-not-yet stage. And what he means by that is this, is that we have already uh, been redeemed by Christ. Jesus has come in the flesh. He has died on the cross, been rescued uh, by Jesus, but... We still live in a Genesis 3 world, which means we still live in a broken, fallen world. And so you have this tension here as Christians that, yes, we've been rescued, we've been redeemed, but, man, we still live in a pretty crummy place, right? And so, 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 so the, the celebration of Advent is the fact that, yes, we've been rescued, yes, we've been redeemed, eternity for us starts now, but, man... And while we're living in the mess, while we're living in the chaos, while we're living in the, this fallen, broken world, as we're living in, in, in you know, the, the upsets and trials that, that Dexter explained this morning that they went through, that the promise is that even in the midst of those things, that God is with us, right? That, that, that God is with us. He is here, and He is coming back for us again. And so that's the celebration, man. That's, that's Advent, right? You guys good? Do you guys even care that I explain that to you? Some of you are like me, you just wasted five minutes, come on. All right, all right, sweet. Well, let's, uh, let's go, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is Matthew, Mark, Luke is the third Gospel in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, listen, if you don't have a Bible, back there on that gray, I don't even know what you call that thing. What do you call that thing? Anybody know? Is it, a ta- you call it a table? The gray thing, we just call it the gray thing. <laughs> There's a gray thing back there. And we have all kinds of Bibles that you guys have left here. And, um, and so if you've left a Bible here and you don't claim it, then I'm just going to give it away to somebody that needs a Bible. <laughs> but uh, but if, if you've lost a Bible and you're like, man, I can't seem to find my Bible, you can go back and check the gray thing. That's what we call it, the gray thing. All right? So Luke is, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. So you guys can follow along with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is what it says. In those days, a de- are you guys good, man? We're good? All right, let's go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, a with great, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, uh, man, just the fact that we have the opportunity to just open your word and to read it together as a church and uh, just to continue to worship you as we, as we read your word. Father, I pray that that as we uh, read, God, that you would just open our minds and our hearts and that your words would just penetrate us. Uh, Father, we pray for your spirit to just move in this place and, uh, God, that, that our, our eyes and our heart would just be awakened to, to your beauty, God, that we would exalt your son, Jesus, that we would lift him up and that people would see how beautiful he, uh, he is and what he's done for us and that we would see ourselves for who we are and, God, we would see our need for him. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so have you guys ever experienced a situation in your life? Uh, maybe you went to a restaurant, and it was a little bit more classier than you thought, and so as soon as you walked into this restaurant, you kind of realized that, wait a minute, I don't know that I belong here. I don't know that I fit in. Anybody ever happened to you? Like, maybe you've walked into a place, right, and you just kind of were, like, caught off guard, and you were like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know that I belong here. I don't know that I, I fit in. Uh, that happened to us uh, about seven years ago. I have an older brother. He's about a little over four years older than me, and he works with the Secret Service. And I know they haven't gotten uh, a lot of good publicity uh, over the past uh, couple years, uh, but he, he works with the Secret Service. And about seven years ago, he was on, uh, he's worked with them for 15 years, and about seven years ago, he was on the vice presidential detail. And so because he was on the vice presidential detail, uh, he was invited to the vice president's Christmas party. Because we were family, uh, he was able to invite a few family members. And so Robin and I had the opportunity to go up to D.C. to the vice president's home uh, for this awesome Christmas party. Now, we get up there, and, and we get there, and it's at the vice president's house. But they have these tents, right, these tents that are attached to the house uh, on the lawn. And we're not talking about, you know, you think tent, you think like camping tent. Or you think tent, you know, like white tent, you know, that's kind of big. These tents were like massive, and they were, like, super nice. Like, I would live in these tents, you know what I mean? Like, they, they were really, really nice, and they were closed in. They had windows. I mean, it was, it was a fancy, fancy up-to-do thing. I mean, we're talking an upscale party. We walk in, and uh, you have uh, music. You have band. I mean, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about, like, band up on stage band. I'm talking about people who sit down and play, like, violins and harps and, like, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, cool, like, fancy up-to-do stuff. They had waiters and waitresses who walked around, and they were serving drinks, and they were serving food, right? I mean, this was a fancy, fancy, fancy party, right? And Robert and I, man, we're up there, and we're like, man, we just don't know that we belong in, in this setting. And I knew that that was true, especially when Robin came back from the bathroom, right? Listen, this is a true story. She comes back from the bathroom, and, uh, and she says, man, you have got to go see these bathrooms. These bathrooms were inside the tent area, okay, but these bathrooms were nicer than any of our bathrooms probably in our house, right? I mean, they were like, 
like, I, I would live in these bathrooms, okay? And, um, and so, so she's like, you got to go check it out. And she says, while you're there, you've got to grab some of the hand towels uh, because the hand towels, had the, they were very nice. They weren't just like kind of your paper cloth type towels. They were very nice, and they were like pressed, you know, neat, nice. You almost didn't want, you didn't want to use them. You, know, you just kind of want to wipe your hand on your suit, you know. And so she says, because they got the vice presidential seal on them. And so we're in there in the bathroom, and we're like grabbing hand towels and stuff them in our suit jackets and in our purses, you know, and we're doing all these different things, right? And, and it was just, I knew right then, I was like, man, we just don't fit in. We just don't belong in this place. And before we left, though, we were able to get a picture with, uh, with the vice president and his wife. Go ahead and show that, that beautiful picture there. That was seven years ago. And uh, you can tell, man, uh, Dick Cheney looks real thrilled to be there. Um, he's, uh, I, I can't tell you how many pictures he, took, he had that day, probably. Uh, but, uh, but that's Dick, and that's Lynn, and that's myself and Robin. And uh, ever since the Christmas party, we've been on a first-name basis with them. So uh, that's Dick, Dick and Lick Chain, Lynn Cheney. Um, but but I, just, I, say, I tell you that because we, we definitely felt out of place, like we didn't belong there, right? And in our story today, the only group, listen, the only group that makes sense, the only group that seems to fit in this entire narrative that we just read are the angels. Like they're the, they're the only ones. If we're talking about the Savior of the world, healing the human heart and pushing back the darkness, the only one that makes sense are the angels. And it's certainly not Joseph and Mary, right? We chatted about them last week, and, and we learned that they were kind of broke peasants from Galilee. And it's definitely, definitely not these shepherds. Now, now there are some pretty famous people in the Bible that were shepherds, right? Abraham, way back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, was, was a shepherd at one time in his life. Moses was a shepherd after being exiled from Egypt for a, a period of time. King David, probably one of the most famous shepherds of all time, uh, talked about wrestling uh, bears and lions and tigers, oh my, you know, he was like doing all these crazy things, and so he was like one of the most famous shepherds. He was a shepherd, and then Jesus refers to himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. But what you have to understand is, is that during this period of time when Christ was born in the first century, they were considered despised underclass in Israel. Their name, their name uh, had gone downhill Right, shepherds in this period of time were nomads. They were almost universally known as thieves, and they did not have a good reputation in the community. Leon Morris, in his commentary, he writes this. He says, shepherds had a reputation for stealing as they moved about the countryside. And so what they would do is they would let their sheep wander in other people's fields, and while they were wandering in other people's fields, they would go raid their barns, and they would steal from other people. They were unreliable. They weren't even permitted to give a testimony in the court of law because people could not trust them. They wouldn't believe them. Right? These men would not have been trusted, and they just simply don't make sense in this story. Right? They don't belong. They don't fit. But see, that's, that's, that's what's awesome about our God. Because during Jesus' ministry, he was in the business of hanging out with people who didn't fit. Wasn't he? Right? Jesus was in the business of hanging out with the misfits. Right, that's what he's criticized in his ministry over and over and over again by these religious leaders, by these people who thought they knew and they thought they had it together and they, they, they criticized Jesus because they're like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these sinners? Why are you hanging out with these lowly outcasts and these rejects? Why are you, do you not know that that's a prostitute at your feet, Jesus? Do you not realize that you, and so they criticized Jesus all the time because Jesus 
hung out with those who were on the fringes of society. And so it shouldn't be any surprise that God makes the first announcement of the Savior coming into the world to a bunch of despised, lowly rejects like the shepherds. So the first thing that we learn from this passage is that God loves to use even ordinary people. Amen? Right? Because Abraham Lincoln said that God must love the common man because he sure made a lot of them. Right? Amen. Amen. And yet that's the beauty of the gospel. Listen, that's the beauty of the gospel. In verse 10, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. All the people. That means the poor shepherds all the way up to the, to the rich magi. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world, the world of the people in the world, the inhabitants of the world. That's us, everybody. So that, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The gospel is for everybody. It's for the poor. It's for the rejects like the shepherds. It's for the rich like the magi. It's not just for those who are the well-educated. It's not just for those who are well-behaved. It's not just for those who have strong families or healthy marriages. It's for everybody. Right? I mean, either, either the gospel is for everybody or the gospel is not for anybody. Right? Right? And, and the word gospel simply means good news. And in order for good news to be good, it must invade bad spaces. Right? And so, so when you receive a clean test result, right, for, for, for example, from the doctor, that's, that, that's some good news, isn't it? Right? you got a clean bill of health. That's good news because there was a threat of bad news. And so good news invades bad spaces. If you go and you ask uh, your girlfriend, men, if you go and ask your girlfriend to marry you, right, and she says yes, that's good news, right? Because the alternative answer would have been what? And that's bad news, right? And so there's always a threat of bad news. And so good news invades bad spaces, right? Listen, bad news is the backdrop against which good news really shines, right? So it's against the backdrop of bad news that you hear this good news, and it's like really good news, and it really shines through. See, and the bad news is, is that this perfect peace that, that was talked about, the shalom peace of God that Adam and Eve experienced with God in the beginning in the garden was shattered when they disobeyed God and they ate from the tree that God told them not to. And as a result, man, sin entered the world. And as a result, man, we are all sinners. We've all fallen short and we've been separated from God. And because of that, man, listen, there is this massive gap, massive gap between us and God, which means we are lost and we are eternally damned to hell. That's bad news, isn't it? That's bad news. See, the problem is, man, is that people don't really believe the bad news, right? People really don't understand the gap that is between us and God, right? They don't understand the severity of our sin against a holy and righteous God because there's some people who don't even believe in God. They don't realize how big the gap is. My dad was one of those people for 60-some years. He just didn't believe the gap was that big. And so, so there are many people who are walking around today thinking that if I just live a good life, if I can just live a good life, man, then, I, then I'm going to be fine. 
So what I want to do is I want to take a second and just use a silly illustration. And I admit this is a silly illustration, but I think it gets the point across of what I mean about how big this gap is between us and God. Our family just recently joined the YMCA. We got a family membership, and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. And so our, our boys, we had two boys. Shepard is the youngest. He's going to return two on the 31st, uh, which is awesome because if I ever forget his birthday, he's always going to have a party no matter what, right? So it's awesome, right? And so, so his birthday's coming up. He's going to be two. And then we have another son, Jude. He's, he's just turned five back in August. And uh, as we leave the YMCA, we're coming out the main doors there, and there's this sidewalk that goes down to the left. And it's kind of got a little incline to it, or decline. Decline, right? Incline's up, decline's down, yeah. So he's got this little downhill slant, okay? And uh, Shepard has started to run down this hill. And it's a lot of fun watching him. He's fat, pretty fast for a two-year-old. And so what that's done is Jude has also started to run. And uh, it was a lot of fun at first, and Jude would be like, uh, man, look how fast I am. And he would be like, Daddy, Daddy, run with us. And so I would kind of like leisurely run behind them. And, and uh, it was a lot of fun at first, right? right? A lot of fun. But then Jude started kind of getting a little, little cocky. Right? Jude started getting a little arrogant on me. Right? And Jude would start saying, look, Daddy, look how fast I am. And I'd be like, yeah, because he was running faster than Shepard. I'm like, okay, dude, you're five, he's two, whatever. I didn't say that to him. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and uh, I'm really not mean to my son. I love my son. But, uh, but so then, then he gets a little bit more arrogant, a little bit more cocky. And so as I'm leisurely running behind him, Jude's like, look, Daddy, look, Daddy, I'm faster than you. Now, he said, Daddy, crossed the line. <laughs> he said, Daddy, crossed the line. All right, so, so now, I used to be a very competitive person growing up, Okay. And, uh, and so, listen, but my son, he's five years old, and I didn't have the heart to crush his spirit. But I'm like, son, I'm thinking to myself, son, if, 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 if we really raced, if we really ran, and I tried, right, I would absolutely crush you. Like, there wouldn't even be a competition. Like, I would, I would leave you in the dust, right? Right? And so, um, I almost decided to, to have Robin tape us running just to show you guys, but I didn't, right? Because uh, I didn't want to crush him. But, but, but my point is this, is that if we were to run, the gap between us, my speed and his speed, would be laughable. And my point is this, that, that, that the gap between us and God is so massive. It is so big. And there's nothing that we can do to close that gap. And we try. We try to do those things, right? We try to do those things. We try to close the gap. Because what we do is we play this game that most of us think that, man, we're just not bad people. I know bad people, but I'm not one of them, right? And the question you have to ask is about what standard are you judging yourself by? Now, listen, we do this all the time. We've done this before. And just a real quick show of hands. Anybody here ever told a lie before? Yeah, yeah, we have. We have. We've told a lie. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, listen, if we're honest with ourselves, we have loved things. We have pursued things. We have cherished things more, more than we have loved, pursued, and cherished the God who created them. Right? We've taken the good things that God has created for us to enjoy and delight in and to worship Him, and we have worshiped those things. We have all had anger and rage and lust in our hearts. Right? I mean, listen, we, we could go through all Ten Commandments, and we would fail on every single one of them. Every one. So it doesn't matter how good you think you are because we stand before a holy, perfect God and we fall woefully short. Man, the gap is big. And there are people who just don't realize that. They just don't realize it. 
And then there are those who, who can really articulate the gospel. And these, these people, man, maybe they've grown up in church, and maybe they, they're church-going folks, and they can articulate the gospel. They know that Jesus came. They know that Jesus died. And they know that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, but the truth of the gospel, the truth of that, has not really implanted in their hearts. Right? The, the, the truth of that has not captured their hearts. Listen, I pray for my kids every single night. I pray for their salvation. But what I pray for most, man, is the gospel, the truth of the gospel would just, that it would captivate their hearts, man. Because I want it to take root in them. Right? And, and, and so there, there, there are people, and I was one of them, that believe that you can kind of close that gap between us and God uh, by our own moral behavior. Right, listen, right after Adam and Eve uh, felt the thrill of eating that forbidden fruit, they immediately felt a sense of their own nakedness, right? If you read that back in Genesis chapter 3, uh, you'll see, man, that, that, that prior to eating the fruit, they were already naked, weren't they? Right? They didn't have clothes. So what was it that changed for them? Right? They, 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 they ate that fruit. They disobeyed uh, because prior to eating that fruit, they were clothed. Their identity was in God. Right? They, 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 they were clothed in the love and acceptance of God. And so when they stepped outside of that and they decided to do their own thing and they disobeyed, then what entered, what entered next was fear and shame and guilt. And, and, and ever since then, man, we've tried to, to clothe ourselves with other things. We've tried to find our identity and our acceptance and love from other things rather than our creator. And every time we do that, man, it, it leaves us wanting more. Right? And that's what's, that's what's happened. And so ever since, man, we've been trying to close this gap by buying into the lie that somehow I have to earn God's love and acceptance. Right? We try to close this gap by establishing our own worthiness and our own identity in some other way. And one of the ways that we do this is through religious activity. Man, I'm telling you, man, there are people who, who, who think, man, if I read my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I go to just get more discipline, if I can just get more discipline, Practice the spiritual disciplines, right? Attend more Bible studies. Then I can maybe get on God's good side. Then maybe God will love me. The only problem is with that is those things absent from the gospel only creates a self-reliance, a pride, and control. Because what you're ultimately trying to do is control God. Does that make sense? You guys following what I'm saying? And what it comes down to is, is us believing that our value and our acceptance and worth comes from religious activities that we perform rather than coming from the God who created us. See, religious change will never work because it doesn't address one issue. You know what that is? The heart. It doesn't address the heart. These people are seeking to be their own savior. But see, the gospel is good news because the gospel is the reverse of that. Listen, man, listen to me closely. The gospel is not about performance. The gospel good news is not about you performing. Because you cannot do anything to close that gap. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't do it. The good news of the gospel is that I am loved and that I am accepted by God through Jesus Christ. And because of his great love for me, I am therefore motivated to obey him. See, religion is opposite. Religion is, man, if I obey, then God will love me. The gospel says, I am loved, therefore I obey. Man, that's good news. And we see the example of this in this passage, right? After the angels announced the good news, what, what did the shepherds do? It says that they went with haste. And I love it because it doesn't say that they went home and they showered and shaved and ironed their robes. 
It doesn't say that they went home and they said, let's sleep on it tonight, and then we'll reconvene in the morning, and we'll see, you know, if this is legit or not. No, it says they went in haste. They were so captivated and overwhelmed by the love of God that they immediately went. And I love this because, listen, it's not about trying to clean yourself up first. It's not about you trying to get your life in order first, man. How many people do you know that are living like that? They're saying, man, I know, I know, I know, but I just need to clean my life up first. I need to quit what I'm doing first, right? And they're not understanding, man, it's not about that. It's not about you cleaning yourself up first. It's about you surrendering yourself to Jesus and allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to enter into your life and to clean you up from the inside out. That's good news. That's good news. We need Jesus. So our obedience is motivated out of the love that God has for us. And when you begin to understand that God can't love you any more than what he already loves you and that he, he doesn't love you any less, he, can't, he won't love you any less, man, that, 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 that kind of love begins to, to change you. We become overwhelmed and captivated by his initiating love towards us. And the good news of the gospel is that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How awesome is that? Think about that, that while we were still sinners, we were enemies of God and Christ came and he died for us. See, the only way we can close that gap is if God stepped in that gap for us. And he did. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth and he stepped in the gap for us. He redeems us and he rescues us. And so our motivation, get this, our motivation is no longer to earn God's love. When you realize that, our motivation is no longer to earn God's love, but our motivation becomes more about wanting to know God more about wanting to have this fellowship with God, this relationship with God. And so it doesn't become this idea of, well, let me check Bible study off. I read my Bible today. Uh, I prayed today. Uh, I went to, you know, it doesn't become this checkoff list, but rather it becomes this idea of you fellowshipping with God. You have communion with your Savior because you realize the depth of his love for you. And so you read your Bible because you want to know him more. You pray because you want to have this fellowship with him more. And listen, I know it's tough some days. I'm not sitting here telling you, man, that this is going to, that, that this gospel is going to like, uh, you know, automatically just make you want to do this every day. You're going to wake up some days and you're like, I don't feel like reading my Bible. You're going to go through some days and you're like, this is tough. That's why we've got to preach this message to ourselves every single day. You wake up in the morning, man, you've got to look in the mirror and you've got to say, man, God loves me. He accepts me. My identity is in him. And nothing's going to change that. And you've got to stand firm and rooted in that. And then you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Right? And that's the only way it works. That's the only way it works. That's good news of great joy for all the people. Right? He closed the gap. He closed the gap by living a life that we couldn't live and dying a death that we should have died. I love this because the gospel and the gospel alone has the power to produce love for God in the heart. Listen, that's why it's a part of our purpose statement three times, right? You, get, you may look at that and you say, why, why do you guys repeat the gospel so many times? Because the gospel has power. The gospel has power. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he refers to um, as the power of God, that phrase is the power of God for two things in Scripture. Two things. You know what they are? The gospel and Jesus himself. The power of God. Two things, the gospel and Jesus himself. That's power. That's power. 
That's good news and great joy for all people. That, mean, that means for us too, man. We need a Savior, and He's arrived. And so the shepherds, man, listen, they not only learned that God loves to use common people, but they learned, man, that an encounter with the living God changes their life forever. And if you're here this morning, man, and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're like one of those people, man, I just got to wait, got to get my life straight, man, I want to invite you today at the end of the service to come forward, surrender, allow Jesus to, to help you, allow the Holy Spirit to live in you. Man, if you're here this morning and you can articulate the gospel, but it hasn't, hasn't captured you, listen, we pray for you, man. We want the gospel to take root in you. We want you to understand that and grasp uh, how high and how, how deep and how wide God's love is for you. So these shepherds, man, they, they find Mary and, they, and Joseph and baby Jesus, and, and I don't know how they did this. It doesn't explain. Man, I don't know if they went to, uh, to Bethlehem and they searched all the barns, like, hey, is baby Jesus in here? I don't know what they did. But they explain what happened. They worship baby Jesus, and they immediately become these heralds of the gospel. Right? I mean, they, they've been changed. They've been transformed like that. And, and, and the first evangelists in the Bible are thieves who had been given the good news in the midst of their thievery. Right? In the midst of their thievery, in the midst of their, their you know, the, the, the good news comes, and they're rescued. And then they go out and they herald the good news. Likewise, you and I feel the role of the shepherds because we are sinners saved by grace. And now we become in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, Families, the heralds of this good news of great joy to all people. And if you've been with us in the past, and we've talked about this idea of sharing our faith, and listen, I know it can be a scary thing. I know it can be a scary thing. Listen, I'm not asking you, we didn't make I Heart Jesus t-shirts to pass out so you can go out and track bomb everybody, okay? We didn't do that, right? Uh, we still have I Heart Community shirts left over, though. If you want one of those, we have one of those. But, uh, but we didn't make those t-shirts. You know, we're not asking you to do that. And I know it's intimidating, I know it's scary because you're like, man, what if people ask me a question that I don't know? What if I say something stupid? Listen, I say stupid things all the time. I just, it's, it's a reality, okay? And listen, I, I can tell you, man, that, that some of the, the best opportunities that I had, uh, listen, I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 9, 10 years old at my home church growing up, but, but God really didn't, my heart wasn't captured until I was about 20, 21 years old. That's when I really began to understand the gospel. And, and, and it was during that time, man, that, that I was so excited that I would go to work and, and I would have conversations with people and they would see the excitement in me and they would see the change. And it gave me the opportunity to be able to say, hey, this is what God is doing. Because every single one of us has a story. And this is what God is doing. This is how the Holy Spirit's working in my life. And so I'm just asking that you be willing to share your story with people and point them to Jesus. Right? On the job site, wherever, at home, in the marketplace. Be attentive. Always be ready to share the hope that you have. John 4.35, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. Now listen, this is part of our purpose here at Chester Christian Church. Our, our, part of our purpose here is to reach people with the gospel. And our prayers is that, man, that we would reach every single person here in Chester with the gospel. That's our desire. We want to see people come to know Jesus, man. We've had 21 people give their life to Jesus this year. Praise the Lord. Man, I want to see hundreds of people give their life to Jesus. 
And we want to be in the business of reaching people with the gospel. And listen, we are. I'm not asking you to do something that, that we as leadership of this church is not willing to do. So I just want to share a few examples with you. We have a group of, of elders here at the church. And if you don't know what elders are, uh, come to Jumpstart class and I'll explain that to you next month. But uh, our elders are our leaders of this church. We have three elders. We have uh, Noah Jesse. Noah Jesse, where you at? Right here. Noah Jesse plays guitar up here on stage. He rocks it out, doesn't he? Yeah, love Jesse. And then, uh, so Noah's one of them. Then we have Arthur Smith. Arthur, raise your hand. If you don't know Arthur, Arthur's the mayor of Chester. All right, that's what everybody knows Arthur as. Uh, and then we have another, another elder. His name is Paul Bryant. And Paul Bryant's not here because his mom had surgery this past weekend. And so he was down in North Carolina with her. But every single month, we meet on Tuesday nights. And we, we get together and we pray. We pray for God's direction. We pray for God's wisdom. And we pray and then we talk about uh, where God is leading the church in a direction he wants us to go in, right? And so we talk about those things. And listen, we've got uh, great, great chemistry together. We work well together. There's great unity there with us. And then after, after every one of our meetings on Tuesday night, we always go to one of the most spiritual places in Chester, and that's Cracker Barrel, right? Uh, we always go and we eat together because when you eat together, man, you, you grow together, right? Or I don't know if that's what the saying is or not. I just made it up. Is that true? Is that right? Is that how you say that? It works, right? Uh, anyways. Uh, so we go there and eat, right? And so what, what's began happening, though, is, is, is over the last year, year and a half, as we're, as we're meeting together, as we're eating together, we've met a lot of waitresses there at Cracker Barrel. And we met a young lady named Jamie. And, and, and Jamie, man, we've gotten to know Jamie. Jamie has come over. Every time she sees us come in now, man, she always makes uh, a beeline over to us, and she comes over to our table. And even if she's not waiting on us, man, she'll come over and she'll chat with us. Because what has happened is, is we've developed this relationship with Jamie. And over the last year or so, man, Jamie has been able to share her story with us, and we have listened to her. That's the key, is we have listened to her. And Jamie's had some rough, rough times. And Jamie has shared with us about her kids and some of the needs her kids has. And so when we go back in there, and we're like, Jamie, how's this with your, with your son and with your daughter? Right? We check up on her, and we, we ask her how things are going. And we begin this relationship with her. And what we're doing is we're laying the groundwork. I mean, she knows we go to church. She knows who we are. And we've invited her to church. But, but we're, we're laying the groundwork for us to be able to share the gospel with her. To be able to speak the truth of the gospel in her life. And that's a great thing, man. That, that, that's cool. And then, and then there's this, this girl named, uh, named Kaya who also works at Cracker Barrel who we've met. And what's cool about Kaya is Kaya also works at Dominion Power on the down the, what do you call it, the Riverside? Riverside. Noah, our, one of our elders, plays a guitar up here, also works at Dominion downtown. And uh, Noah uh, occasionally goes down to the Riverside campus, whatever it's called, and, uh, and, and he'll bring Kaya coffee, right? And, and, and imagine what that does for Kaya, right? Doesn't you think he encourages her that, that, that this guy who she sees once a month and who we've been talking to uh, would bring her coffee and think about her, that guy. Like, what we're doing is we're sharing the love of Christ with these people. And we're praying for them. And we're listening to them. And we're engaging them in conversation. Uh, another thing that we do as leadership is, is a couple times a month, on early Friday morning at 6 o'clock, we go to another great spiritual place in town. It's called the Waffle House. Right? We love, I don't know if you noticed the common thread here. We love to eat, right? We love to eat. Uh, and so, so we'll go to the Waffle House, and we'll meet together again just to kind of catch up and just to, you know, whatever we need to do. And, uh, again, we, we've developed relationships there with the, with the waitresses. And there's this one girl in particular named Jessica. We call her Jess. And Jess has been sharing with us things that are going on in her life, and it was great because 
a week and a half ago, uh, Paul had to leave early to go to work. And so it's just myself, Noah, and Arthur sitting there. And Jessica actually comes over and sits down in our booth. While she's working, she's working. And she comes over and sits down in our booth. And she just, like, unloads, man. She just unloads. She starts telling us about her mom and her relationship with her mom and, and all these different things. And you just see she's hurting and she's got, she needs hope is what she needs. She needs, and so we love on Jessica, man. We, we, we want to share the gospel with Jessica. And then there's a young lady that, uh, uh, that, 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 that volunteers here at church. A lot of you know her. Her name is Mary Young. Mary Young is an awesome lady, man. I love Mary. She, she works in our office a couple days a week volunteering. And, uh, and she is, uh, she's got a husband named Frank and Frank, guys. But for 45 years, 45 years, Mary has prayed for Frank. 45 years. And I don't know, man. I don't know if, if Frank just doesn't understand the gap that's between him and God. I don't know if he understands the severity. I don't know. But Mary has been praying that God will draw him to himself. And I share that with you guys for this reason, man. It's because we're not asking you to do something that we're not already doing. And I just want to encourage you, man, to, to, to write down a name or two names or three names or whatever it is, family members, co-workers, people that you know that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I want you to pray about engaging them in conversation. Invite them over to your house. Have dinner with them. Sit around. Listen, when you sit around a table, man, conversation just starts to flow, doesn't it? We've lost that art, man, because we're so busy. I just want to encourage you, man, invite those folks over. Listen to them. Listen to them. Pray for them. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. What do you guys think? You guys good? All right. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for your love for us. And I just pray, Father, this morning that if there are folks here that are just hurting, that are going through a rough time, God, that you would uh, just help them, Father, to know that there are people here that, that love them and want to pray for them. Father, if there are folks here this morning that just don't have a relationship with you, I pray, Father, that you would, uh, man, just convict them. God, that they would step out of their comfort zone, whatever it may be, and that they would surrender their life to you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I'm going to ask uh, Kathy and Chuck if you guys will come over here, if you don't mind to do that. And I'll be over there as well. And, and listen, we would love to, to pray for you if you are struggling with something, if you're going through an issue. We would love to do that. But listen, if you, uh, man, if you want to give uh, your life over to Jesus, I would love to chat with you about that as well. And so uh, let's stand and let's sing together and uh, just do that during this song. Just make your way over here. Let's pray for you, okay? Let's pray for you. I know there's people here that need it. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy.